On count one of involuntary manslaughter as to Madison Baldwin, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count two of involuntary manslaughter in regards to Tate Muir, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. On count three as to involuntary manslaughter regarding Hannah, Hannah St. Juliana, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. And in count four of involuntary manslaughter against Justin Schilling, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. That was the breaking news just less than a half an hour ago. A dejected Jennifer Crumbly closing her eyes, head slightly tilted down as the realization that she had been found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter as it stemmed from her son's actions at Oxford High School on Jan- uh, November 30th, uh, just two years ago. And with that guilty verdict comes a new precedent for parents of accused, convicted mass shooters all around the country. Uh, that's the breaking news today. It's good to have you with us. We're going to break it all down as Jennifer Crumbly has been found guilty in all four counts of involuntary manslaughter, one count for each death of the four students that were killed uh, at Oxford High School. I want to just bring in Marie Osborne, and we're going to try to break this down as best as we can. Um, Marie, we had been talking for uh, weeks as this trial had gone on, and there, there was explosive testimony on both sides where Shannon Smith, her defense was bringing Jennifer Crumbly to the stand. The prosecution uh, was was much more diligent 400 exhibits uh, put into evidence. 21 witnesses were brought to the stand. It was an extensive process, I think, carried out by Karen McDonald and her staff. What is your your reaction to this news today? Well, remember, the burden of proof, of course, is always on the prosecution. The defense did not have anything to prove. So uh, we want to state that on the onset. I think the strategy and part of the defense was that they just wanted to show this person as a human being, as a mother, who, you know, normally just uh, went about her life and had no idea that her son was about to do what he did. Uh, You know, interestingly enough, back in the late 90s when when we experienced Columbine in this country, uh, the two shooters in that case exhibited all kinds of signs and signals that um, they were having issues, mental health issues. Uh, They were even building a bomb in one of the garages and so on. And a lot of people asked that question, well, how come the parents didn't know about this? This is a question that's been asked in every single school shooting since then. Where, if it's involving a minor, a young person, in this case, uh, Ethan Crumley was 15 uh, 15 at the time, so he was very young. And so this time, Karen McDonald, the Oakland County prosecutor, wanted to get an answer. Where were the parents at all at this time? Why didn't they see the signals that were uh, clear to so many other people? Uh, They also, the defense also made the point, well, okay, they might have been clear to other people, but the fact is that the school didn't really recognize this as a a dire situation. They didn't keep him at school that day. They didn't tell uh, the Crumleys, you have to today, right now, go get mental health treatment. They strongly suggested it, but they didn't demand it. And so that was the case in a nutshell, and 
this is what the result is. You talked about the burden of proof, and it wasn't just that the prosecution needed to prove that Jennifer Crumbly was complicit in this effort of basically being a no-show parent. But they they took the approach of she was more interested in the horses Uh that she had under her control than her son who was crying out for help. She was more interested in sleeping around with her husband uh, with with, uh, somebody else in this affair than she was uh, about her son and his mental health issues and all the obvious warning signs that were, were displayed. Shannon Smith, when she brought Jennifer Crumbly on, to me, fumbled the ball at the ten yard line when when they were the 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 questioning was so strange in terms of what her role was as her mother, and I I think that that came to bite the defense back uh, in in this sentencing. But but you have to give credit to Karen McDonald and her staff. They were they were vigorous in their efforts, and I I think that they at the end of the day had enough to prove that. That, that she was a no-show. I, I, the precedent here is what's fascinating to me and how this will will ripple across the legal landscape across this country. I think that it's, it's, it's a huge point here. I think it's safe to say we're going to have Todd Flood on. You're going to have him on in a few minutes, so I'm, I'm sure he'll have to weigh in on this. But I'm, I think it's pretty safe to say that there will likely be an appeal in this case because uh, there are a couple of things that we've even discussed ahead of time that um, we thought were issues that could be uh, taken up in appeal. Mm-hmm. But that's that's obviously for another day. And also remember, you know, James Crumley has his trial coming up in just a couple of weeks um, and some days here in Oakland County as well. Uh, the prosecution in that case, I will just pivot just a slight bit, but it'll basically be uh, pretty much presenting a very similar case than what was what we heard here. Well, and I think you're going to hear a lot, some of the same things, some of the same facts, like James had a difficult time holding jobs mm-hmm. and he was unemployed at certain times, yet he was still not uh, uh, able to catch these warning signs that Ethan was showing. Um, so I, I think that the the prosecution are going to take bits and pieces of what we heard in the Jennifer Crumbly case and use them in the James Crumbly case as well, which starts in a couple of weeks. I uh, You've seen a lot of these cases, a lot of these jury trials. What what do you think, uh, what, what was your read on the fact that uh, – they basically had one full day of deliberations yesterday. Then they got in today. They worked through lunch. And when I saw that they were working through lunch. They were close. It, they were close. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could start to see the smoke billowing from from the, the rooftop. Mm-hmm. So it, it just felt like this was imminent. Um, what did you what did you make of of the, the jury's participation in this? Well, we're going to hear more about that, obviously, because I'm sure some of them may be willing to do uh, interviews. Six men, six women. I wasn't in the courtroom to see any of their reactions. Uh, sometimes you can take uh, some info about like how how attentive are they? Mm-hmm. Are they writing a lot of notes? The questions they asked yesterday were interesting. One of them was they needed the definition of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So. Again, that might have been a signal that they were actually looking at mm-hmm. a conviction, but they wanted to see a little closer if it fit exactly in there. And then they asked an, a very interesting question, uh, was the issue, why didn't the shooter himself testify? Why didn't they put them him on the stand? And because he could have, you know, he could have said, told his side, well, no, my mother did this and my mother did not do that. Mm-hmm. But they decided not to. And as you know, it was because the judge ruled that, you know, you can't put a witness on the stand that you know will take the fifth. In other words, self-incrimination, they will not testify. Mm -hmm. There may be further legal action for Ethan Crumley, so he's going to 
not say anything sure. in, in court. So they asked those two questions. So that was and they also, they also asked about the scope of the evidence that was presented. Um, if they were able to glean anything else from outside of this trial, which I think was a good question to ask, because, again, it's it's hard not to know anything about this case. Right. Going. Yes. In. You have to be an impartial juror. And so I thought it was a I thought it was a um, a good job by them in, in just clarifying. Right. What can we use when we're making this decision? You somebody's life in your hands. Right. What do we use to when we make this decision? The judge says, nope, anything you heard in this courtroom, anything that I allowed is what you go on. Well, and, you know, with big trials like this, and I've covered a couple of them, most notably the Bob Bashera trial, mm-hmm. um, and the jury instructions there, Judge Vonda Evans told the jury, you know, yes, you may have heard something about this case. You know, you, you'd be living under a rock if you hadn't. But, yes, you may have heard something in this case. But what we're asking for you to do here is for you to only consider what has been presented to you in this courtroom. Do not consider anything. Don't bring anything else in here. You're just, you're only, you could have, you have prior knowledge, great, but don't bring it into this case. Yeah. Uh, Stand by. Uh, We're going to bring Todd Flood into the conversation. Uh, We'll get his reaction. Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter this afternoon. We'll continue the discussion next on JR Afternoon. All right, the breaking news this afternoon is Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter in the deaths of Madison Baldwin, Tate Meir, Hannah St. Juliana, and Justin Schilling. It is a landscape-altering decision by a jury of Jennifer Crumbly's peers to implicate her and for her potential role in the deaths of those students at the hands of of her son. And this brings a whole new slew of questions about precedent and what this could mean going forward. Certainly, James Crumbly, his case, which starts in days, uh, will also be impacted by this decision, I would imagine, as well. Todd Flood rejoins us once again. Todd, it's good to have you. Instant thoughts on the jury's decision here. I think it was the right decision. The facts speak volumes. Right. It was a fact driven case. It's man, you know, as far as as any case in our country, this is the first one that we've ever had with regards to a mass shooting. But it's not the first one, Chris, where a parent has been held accountable for leaving a gun out and a child grabbing that gun and uh, shooting someone else. Mm -hmm. That, you know, has happened many, many times in our state. uh, it's not it's not unheard of but here just pay attention to the facts and the law there was a duty the people proved there was a duty it was foreseeable that something reasonably foreseeable that something bad was going to happen when you allow this kid to have a gun especially when the most disturbing picture ever comes out by the son who paints basically a picture for everyone to see how disturbed he is and the parents don't do anything they don't tell the teachers they don't tell anybody he had or has uh, a gun we purchased him a gun uh, a reasonable person would give some ordinary care we're not looking for sister Teresa here we're just mm-hmm. looking for someone that would give ordinary care and do a timeout say hey son uh, when mom sees that picture Where's the gun? Because it looks 
the one you just drew is identical to this one. It take two seconds. That would have prevented all of this. And the fact that she got up on the stand and was impeached and uh, didn't tell the truth, wasn't candid, was self-serving, um, I think terribly, terrible, terrible decision to put her on the stand without having, you know, uh, understanding of what she was going to say. Because if you remember, it was her lawyer that asked her, would you have changed anything? Mm-hmm. And in essence, she said, no. What about, hey, I would have never given him the gun. I would have asked where is the gun? I mean, so many different things she could have said. But, you know, for the world to see how she thinks and how self-serving she was uh, didn't obviously bode well for her. And, and I also applaud the jury for being diligent. They were in there taking notes. They were very thorough. They went through the evidence. Uh, it wasn't like they flew by the seat of their pants and wanted to get the heck out of there. They took uh, basically, you know, uh, 11 to 14 hours of time to, to go through this. So I'm not surprised, as as you and I discussed before. In terms of the jury, uh, obviously you have a lot of expertise in that area and jury selection and things like that. Um, to me, I, th- I thought they did their due diligence when it came to asking the questions of the judge, when it came to the definition of manslaughter or or just the the uh, the clarifications on what type of information they could use in their decision making process what did you you talked about the diligence of the jury uh during the the hearing itself but w- what did you make of the jury's i guess um uh, uh, uh ability to get in that room together discuss this and break it down and then come back uh you know uh, less than 2 days later with the verdict well, I, I think those questions uh, that they asked. One question was very uh, telling to me. I don't, you know, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but I, I surmise there might have been one or two people on the jury that uh, had some reservations, and uh, they needed to know that they could use alternative theories to to find conviction. Either the defendant's acts or, or disjunctive, the defendant's failure to act. And so uh, that, I thought that question was telling. Uh, I thought it was also telling um, that they wanted clarification because they, they took it serious. They wanted to get it right. And uh, the, the fact that they were all taking notes and they were going through this, to me, was, um, I think, very important for uh, coming to the decision they came to. Uh, so I, I, I think there was probably some some holdouts, or maybe not holdouts is the right word, but some people that needed to understand with uh, some more clarity. In terms of the precedent here, I, I thought you made a, a great point that this isn't the first time a parent's been held to account when their child does something, particularly with a firearm, if it's not locked away properly. But in terms of a mass shooting setting, in terms of what this could mean uh, in event in the event of a mass shooting at a school in a future where a minor is present, um, is this something that's going to be looked at um, by prosecutors across the country when bringing charges to a perpetrator um, that 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 there are other people 
outside of just the the gunman that could be found uh, uh, that that could at least be held to account? I think I think so. But every prosecutor and every police officer is driven by facts. Uh, you know, nothing but the facts, ma'am. So it's uh, the test of time. And does it have an impact for potentially, you know, future cases? I would say this. The biggest issue for mass shootings in our country, and I've, I've since looked at several of them, the ones that I have found all deal with mental illness and uh, or something's off. The prism for how they see the world is off. And I would say to you this, Chris, uh, we need to address it sooner rather than later. Mm. It's you, you look at these cases and cite me one case where you wouldn't say that human being needed to be in an institution or therapy. Mm -hmm. So here, all parents know you know the difference between right and wrong it all starts at home sure you, we all know that yeah, you, gotta, and, and you gotta be involved in your kids is, lives yeah exactly the kid here exactly uh, here needed to uh be in therapy yeah. needed to have help right so you don't give a gun or a deadly weapon to someone that needs that now let, let, let me let me ask you this because sure uh, James Crumbly sitting in his jail cell now, finding that his wife has just been found guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. He uh, holds those same charges as well. Is 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 he shaken in his cell to a certain extent? Or, or, or do these translate? They do. They do. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be difficult to pick a jury because everyone and their brother is going to hear about this verdict. So get the next jury how does that not impact them to some degree mm -hmm. but they have to you know weigh let that all go they have to not use that uh and have a fair and impartial trial i think what this does chris more importantly is show it shows the attorney on the other side uh for for uh mr crumbly uh what not to do sure uh the the counsel do, do you here, uh, do you ever anticipate james crumbly taking the stand uh, not if he's going to testify like that. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I would imagine jurors like to have something to hang their hat on. They, they One way or the other, for a sure. guilty or not guilty. Yeah. And for not guilty, if the prosecution doesn't put out the elements necessary, um, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you, you make a judgment call and you mm -hmm. say, hey, listen, they haven't proved their case. Yeah. But no need for you to go on. However, um, if if there is uh you know that you got to get it over the hump to get the not guilty uh jurors are going to want to hear from him sure and uh he's got to be able to say you know how he didn't know he had a you know the access to the gun he didn't know uh, you know it, it, he yeah, has to uh, do uh, all, you know, all of those all those questions need to be answered todd great stuff as always appreciate the insight Chris, great being with you. Thank you. Yep. Todd Flood, more next on JR Afternoon.